0: Hey, it's Ian Altman. Before we dive into this week's episode, do me a favor and stop by and visit giversedge.com. There are only a few gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and they were all sourced by the ruling group who you can find at giversedge.com. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, we're gonna discuss some of the questions I've received during recent keynote addresses and workshops, specifically related to discounting overall pricing pressure, and carving out a niche in areas where you might think that you don't have any niche at all, you're just a commodity like everybody else. So let's dive in. So I was speaking at an event in Newcastle, England recently, and some of the audience, we had a &A Q&A after the session. And during their Q&A, they asked, well, but my clients are looking for like, you know, their purchasing and procurement people ask us for a two and a half percent discount. So what's wrong with taking a two and a half percent discount or giving them a two and a half percent discount? What's the big deal? It's just two and a half percent. I mean, aren't we better off getting the deal at ninety seven and a half percent than not getting it at all? Now, of course, that's the case. However, you're under the assumption that. The person who was going to buy from you for $0.97 and a half cents wasn't going to buy from you at a dollar. And that's just not the case. Here's the question that I actually asked this participant as I said, well, what kind of margin does your business run at? And they said, well, our business runs at about a 15% net, meaning for every $1,000 they bring in, they make about $150. And I said, okay, so when you're asking about a 2.5% discount, of that 2.5%, how much of that do you think would have represented profit? And the answer is a 100% of it. Because when you discount, it's not like you're discounting your underlying costs. You're discounting the your top line, and presumably your costs stay the same. Well, if you're delivering the same thing, but you're providing it at a discount, at that point, what that client is actually doing is they're actually discounting more than 15% of their net, of their profit, if you will, for that client. Now, what are they getting in return? Well, they might argue that they're getting the business, but I would argue that someone who is going to pay 97 cents per unit for something is probably just as likely to spend 100 cents per unit if we do a good job making that happen. Now, Newcastle, England wasn't the only place where people were asking about discounting. As you might imagine, I hear this question pretty often. And I was in Dallas, Texas recently. Uh, This is after Newcastle. I was in Dallas, Texas, and someone asked me a similar question. And the way they phrased it was this way. They said, you know, see, Ian, our business is different. See, we're special, and our clients expect a discount. Now, I'm sure that nobody listening right now was saying, wow, it's just like my business, because remember, this person was special. They were different, and nobody, after all, is looking for a discount in other businesses, only in yours. Of course people are looking for a discount. We know that's the case, but this person was convinced. They said, well, I mean, the problem is that we're more expensive than other people. And I said, "Oh, okay. So you're more expensive than your competitors, and of course, you are for the exact same product and service as your competitors, right?" And this person said, "Well, well no, it's not that it's not that we offer the exact same thing. We do some additional things that they don't do." And I said, oh, "Okay. But but your client would never be willing to spend more for that. In fact, you probably don't have any clients who spend more for that additional value, do they?" And she said, well, no, I mean, we have clients that pay extra for it, but not everybody sees it. So sometimes if we discount it, then if we can provide additional service for less money, then they'll work with us, which of course is true, but it's ridiculous. Because if you're providing additional services, if you're providing additional value, and if you do that at less cost, then you're a fool because your value exceeds that of other people. And at that point, you're not selling anything. You're just an order taker. Let's face it, if you were selling a pizza and you're selling the exact same pizza as somebody else and one person is selling it for $10 and you're selling it for $8, you're not a salesperson. You're just an order taker. And the problem is, if you sell based on price, then you don't build loyal customers because they're only loyal to the price and those people will leave. Now, what if instead... When someone applied pricing pressure, what if you said to them, well, gee, you know, I appreciate you want to pay less. We all do. And maybe we haven't done a good job of explaining where it is that we think we add value. So let's discuss which of these capabilities you need and which ones you don't. Maybe you don't need all the capabilities we offer. And if that's the case, we might be able to do it at a lower price. Well, now we're having a discussion that's rooted at getting to the truth. And effective sales is not about persuasion, it's not about coercion, it's about getting to the truth as quickly as possible. So if we can have that discussion about value, it works. Now, I also mention this concept of issue, impact, importance quite often. And the idea between issue, impact, and importance is that we usually focus at the superficial high-level issue associated with a given opportunity that our client is facing, rarely do people get beyond that issue to the impact. And the impact is measured by what happens if they don't solve the problem? What does that really mean for their organization if they don't fix this? And the reality is that if the client says, well, if we don't fix it, it's no big deal, they're probably not going to spend the money. If, on the other hand, they say, oh, if we don't fix it, all these bad things are going to happen, then while they're convincing you, they are also convincing themselves. But Issue and impact isn't necessarily enough. The idea of importance is the relative importance of solving that problem compared to other things. So the idea of importance would be well, compared to other things on your plate, how important is it to address this issue right now? And if you start having those conversations, If you use the same side quadrants that I've I've certainly covered in previous podcasts, you can take a listen, then it gives you an ability to focus on things that are important for your client. The other aspect when you face pricing pressure is to focus on the results the client is looking for. So if someone said to you, well, I mean, so yeah, I think your price is too high. say, you know what? It may be. How are we going to know whether or not we're successful? Even if my price was less or more, my guess is... If we can't deliver what you need, it doesn't matter what we charge. It's not a good deal, right? And then, of course, they're going to agree with you. And now you get to focus on the results. And as they're talking about the results, they're kind of building their own little business case to justify their investment with you. And so when it comes to that idea of discounting, we can't just give in because it's just a few percent because it represents straight profit. And when you cave in that area – You're giving up a lot that you don't necessarily need to. Now, this is often tied to this notion of the market seeing you as a commodity. And I will tell you that much of this has to do with educating the marketplace. So let's say that you're looking to buy beef. Well, the cattle and beef market has basically helped us understand that some cuts of meat are more desirable than others and the ones that are more desirable we're accustomed to paying a little bit more for so if you want ground chuck or ground beef it's going to cost typically less than if you want a beef tenderloin because the beef tenderloin there's only two in each cow and and so the idea is that people understand that that's worth more but We didn't know that was the case. I mean, for crying out loud, lobster we see as a luxury item, but it used to be just kind of the scraps that fishermen ate. And then someone said, no, no, lobster should should be really valuable, and people started valuing it. And so thinking about beef, what I want you to consider is this. My wife convinced us this year that we were going to buy all grass-fed beef, grass-fed, dry-aged beef. Now i got to argue that 10 years ago there was no such thing as grass-fed dry-aged beef, but now there is. And we've grown accustomed to paying more for that versus other beef. Now, someone could argue, look, if you're buying beef, if you're buying a New York strip, yeah, there are different ratings that the USDA in the States gives to, gives to beef, and so that might change the price. But otherwise, a prime New York strip is a prime New York strip. But the people who feed their cattle only a grass-fed diet have done a lot of research and shared information with the customer via content marketing. So they create a lot of content that helps the customer realize that grass-fed beef is allegedly healthier, tastes better, cooks better, all those great things that make us willing to pay more for grass-fed beef than typical grain-fed beef. We're paying more for grass-fed beef that is antibiotic-free than the regular beef we get in the supermarket. Well, what I want you to consider is this. It's still a cow. It's still beef. And by the way, any of you vegans in the audience, I applaud the fact that you're still with me on this discussion. Because I I don't mean to offend anybody by covering this topic, but it's just that. By the way, it's the same na- same notion when it comes to vegetables and organic or certified organic vegetables that we're accustomed to paying more for. Now there were farmers who were producing organic vegetables before they didn't tell anybody about it, and now of course it's something that's such a hot marketing technique that those farms that actually produce organic and specifically certified organic vegetables can charge a premium for them. Even if they haven't changed the way they were producing things for 10 years, now they've educated the marketplace and they've established why it's worth more. So what I want you to consider is in your business, what's the grass-fed equivalent? What's the certified organic equivalent? What's the gluten-free equivalent in your space? Because I guarantee you that cattle farmer who thought, well, I'm just doing this, and I just decided to feed my cattle grass instead, um, maybe when they first started doing it, didn't realize they'd have a whole new market. But today they do, and they can tell people about it. But guess what? If they didn't educate the consumer about why grass-fed matters, then people just say, these guys are stupid. They're just feeding their cattle something different, and they want to charge us more for the meat. They're, they're absolutely crazy. But no, there's now a defined market for that. And I will tell you that not only did we buy grass-fed beef, but we bought a whole dedicated freezer to store the vacuum-sealed, dry-aged, grass-fed beef in our house. And I will tell you that five years ago, we didn't even know such a thing existed, but today, that's all we buy. So let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the things that I think you can take away and use from this episode right away. First, on the discounting side, when someone's asking you for a 2%, 3%, 4% discount, don't look at it as the discount off the top. Look at it more from the perspective of how much of that represents your profit and what percentage of your profit is someone discounting. You can never give a unilateral concession. And if you do, you're teaching your client to always ask for a discount and to never trust the fact that your pricing has any authenticity to it. Instead, you don't have that price integrity. It becomes an issue. Your industry is not special or different. Everyone faces these same challenges, so make sure you understand the dynamics there. And then think about the notion of carving out your niche and educating your consumers as to why what you offer is worth more so that they understand that you're not a commodity, that you offer something that actually differentiates you from the rest of the world. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on the show, if there's a topic you want me to cover, just fire me a note directly to ian at ianaltman.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. To drop me your feedback as to what you like and don't like about the episodes, it really makes a difference. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer.